0: Welcome to Allie and Passero with our friend James Ball. I'm Alan Alley with Jim Passero and James. Lots going on this week in an unusual week. Some people would think that maybe there wasn't that much going on. Impeachment trial hasn't started, but there's lots going on on things from Wall Street to Salem and Washington, D.C. We actually had a listener contact me and say, please talk about GameStop, <laughs> which which I found bizarre. But I think it it is important. Um, one of my observations has been that the market has been looking for a reason to correct. Um, stocks are trading at sort of all times high with any kind of multiple that you'd want to look at. Price to earnings, price to sales, that the rationality of what a company is worth has... Uh, evaporated and I think part of it is with the monetary policy of printing money um, without really regard to what that does has flooded money into the system and uh, so the stock market's been trading at all-time highs and then we have this odd little company called GameStop that seems to have thrown the brick through the proverbial window here and James you've You've actually traded in GameStop, so why I don't have. you set this up for us?
1: Yeah, so let's just start out with with what Wall Street Bets is. It's a subreddit that is um, well, what's Reddit. It, Reddit, no, online, message mean, it, online message board, online message board. Yeah, online message board. They have different um, categories, subreddits. They call different message boards, and the the Wall Street Bets is an irreverent, politically incorrect one to talk about stocks, primarily options, and um, basically people make large bets on. Uh, options that have a very small chance of of hitting and yep. if they hit they make 10 20x and if they don't they lose all their money and so that's kind of been the the culture of the Wall Street Bets forum if you will well uh they kind of the, somewhat they there will be different movements there was there's silver there's purple mattresses there's tesla everybody'll get on board everybody'll buy a bunch and then you know it either skyrockets or at tanks and everybody either makes or loses money and they kind of move on to the next one. Well, the one that they found this time was, was GameStop. And so I've been watching this. It's kind of been floating around Wall Street bets for a couple of months now. And what I was telling Alan is I, I bought some shares at 17 bucks. Um, and you just
0: bought them outright.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so um, I, I sold at hundred percent gains, but if anybody's been paying attention, it touched $480 a share. Uh, just this past week so um, I did not turn my two thousand dollars into two hundred thousand but uh, could have if I had not sold like a anyway <laughs> so um, the kind of the, the theory here what so this 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 kind of just got the ball rolling somebody mo- n- noticed that there was a hundred and forty percent short interest in in gamestop so gamestop is a, a brick and mortar, sells video games, um, mall-based, it is basically a dying business model. And so the hedge funds had had shorted this 140% of the outstanding shares, uh, which is illegal. Um you can only the way you short a share is you borrow a share and then sell it to somebody else. Um if you there's no shares to borrow, you're technically not allowed to short the stock. And so the fact that the short interest is 140% of the shares available Means that people are doing what they call naked shorting, which is, like I said, illegal. illegal. So
2: they're shorting the stock on the sort of macro reason that
0: uh, it's a brick and mortar business, and it's right. not. It's right. not. Yeah. So they've so, got
2: they've got an economic, a solid
0: economic theory to why they're doing this. Right. So James buys a hundred shares. He's quote long in the stock. I decide that I don't I don't like this company. I think they're going out of business. I go to James. This is the way it theoretically works. Yep. I borrow his hundred shares and I sell them to you. So, and you have to pay me interest. and I have to pay you some interest on yep. that. So I yep. borrow the shares and sell them to you. So uh, he paid a hundred bucks for the share or let's use uh, the real numbers. You paid seventeen. yeah, right? Um, I borrow them from James. I pay him some interest on that position. I sell them to you for seventeen bucks because I think the share price is going to go down. At some point in time, and this is one of the things that's weird about this is that point in time isn't defined. I buy shares on the open market, return them to James, and I don't have to pay him interest anymore. Right. If I'm buying those shares on the open market, it's now three bucks a share. I already had 17 when I sold them to you. I buy them for three. I clear 15, bu- or 14 bucks. I give them back to James. Deals done. That's yep. the way short selling works. It's not common for your average retail investor to be a short seller. Um, hedge funds are short sellers, and hedge funds, by definition, are funds that that when you invest in them, you know that they can take these short positions. The odd thing about you invest short- in
2: a hedge fund because its return is. A good hedge fund's return is traditionally higher than higher. than, the, than right. the market. This average.
0: is like jet fuel. Yeah. This is right, and you have very sophisticated investors that are taking these. They don't. This is a very simple example. What they do is they they buy the bonds of a company and then take a short position, and then they go out and find warrants and they create these synthetic positions that are hedged, and. They're hedged long, they're hedged short, they buy puts, they buy call they buy these incredibly complex portfolio of securities. It isn't just like buying Apple. They buy this crazy portfolio and they've they've adjusted all the little parameters that in any kind of market conditions that they see, they're gonna make money. Unless, in, theory, in theory, unless yeah, so this happens.
1: So Wall Street bets gets a hold of this thing and starts buying up shares, causing the price to go up. And it go it was it was at four dollars back in like October, and it like I said, it touched almost five hundred. So the thing with that interest is these these um, these hedge funds with these borrowed shares have to pay interest based on the price that they have have borrowed against. So they shorted it at like five bucks a share. And it's now at 500 almost or 300 or, you know, I mean, who knows? It changes daily what, what right. this thing is. And so they are, they are bleeding money. And so the kind of the, the big bad guy in this whole thing is Melvin Capital, who, uh, why, or, why are they
2: the big bad guy? Oh, they're just
1: the, the one with the biggest short position or, or it's the one that Wall Street bets has, has picked to be the, big one then citron uh excuse me citron capital <laughs>
0: that's a, <laughs> you used a reddit term I, I
1: did um i did use a reddit term um <laughs> citron capital is another one that that has a big short position and anyway um so they have lost uh 50 of their assets under management year to date paying interest on this short position and so kind of the the um what i'm a little bit worried about is that this this does
0: have the the potential to So before we get into that, yeah. we gotta take a break. Okay. And then uh, I wanna review the bidding on the fundamentals of GameStop, and then we'll get into the the catastrophic house of cards that okay. that we're staring at. This is Allie and Pacero with James Ball.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. Prolift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service and all garage door repairs, with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland.
0: Welcome back to Ali and Pacero with James Ball. We're talking all things GameStop. So in the last segment, we kind of set things up. Here's another thing. Why would somebody short this stock? So I'm just looking at the numbers here. These are approximate. So GameStop last quarter did two million dollars in revenue, I think. Let me look at the financials here. No, it's two two billion, I think. No. It was the last quarter. Two million? You sure? Yeah.
1: This is Ten, twelve, terrible months. radio.
0: We're all looking stuff up on our phones. No, that's that's okay. <laughs> oh no, no, you're right. Yeah, trailing twelve months, they did uh, seven billion, billion. in yeah. revenue. Cost of revenue was five billion. Gross profit two. Uh, Pre tax income was minus seven hundred and thirty eight million dollars.
1: But positive free cash flow. And at so, the time that so, Melvin and these wait, guys, wait,
0: wait. Yeah. Let me back up. So um they were and they've been losing money net income to common shareholders since 2019. Revenue is kind of flat ish. It's gone nine billion, eight billion, six billion, seven billion, so it's it's trailing down a little bit. So the five dollar price was not necessarily in a historical market And uh, a wildly overvalued price for GameStop. Well, so your your revenue's
1: at several billion at the point when they opened their short position at five bucks a share market cap was under a billion or right at a billion
0: yeah so, so your,
1: your revenue is six seven times your market cap like that i don't know that and, and with and like i said positive free cash flow i mean yeah their net income is negative but because they're, they're shedding assets. They, they've got a long time before they go bankrupt. They've got name ID. They've got a thousand retail right. locations. But it's,
0: it's, it's not out of the ordinary for a stock like that to start to be shorted. Correct. Right. Yeah. When you think some, somebody's going out of business, you, you kind of look at their cash, you look at their cash flow. Um, a company like that is not going to really be able to go to the market and raise a bunch of money. That's how you'd normally do it is you'd sell stock. Right. Doesn't look like you're really going to be able to sell stock. Um, it had traded. Especially not if you're 140% shorted. Right. I mean, it was dead flat trading between three and four dollars a share for, I'm going back five years now. You can go back to 02. And it was nine bucks a share. And on October 1st, it was 10 bucks a share. Right. And it's
1: never traded higher than like 40. Ba- and that was back before the internet really
0: took off. Yeah. yeah. 49. Yeah. 57. Yes. But it's basically trading at 10 bucks a share. Yeah. So it's this going nowhere little dinky company that nobody really cares about. And somehow the shorts start getting into this. Yeah. Right. And I don't know, remember I talked about these synthetic positions that people are taking. And so they were probably creating these hybrid positions of, I don't know if they have any corporate bonds out there, but these long positions, short positions hedging this stock. Right. Okay. So then what happens? Well, so like I said, Reddit gets a hold of it. The stock price
1: starts going up and it's sort of morphed over the last few weeks because it, it... Wall Street bets is not a political sub. This this is a just trying to make money in the stock market with risky plays, and this is a pretty risky play. And as the stock market or the stock price started going up, um, there's this one guy who put eighteen months ago put fifty thousand dollars into it um, in long dated calls, and he is now worth about forty five million dollars. He turned fifty k into forty five million dollars, and he's kind of been not really the ringleader but he'll post every time there's a big movement he'll post his positions and what his current thing is and he's kind of become like a this this folk hero among the uh, among the subreddit and that kind of catalyzed this um there's a an activist investor got involved uh Ryan Cohen I think is his name he's the one that took Chewy from you know to a multi-billion dollar business he's trying to transform GameStop into a more online retailer or like yeah selling computer parts type of store uh, so he's trying to change their their outlook. Um, and so the stock price started going up. Like I said, positive free cash flow, multi-billion dollars in sales every year. And yeah, they're losing money. But now they've got an activist investor on the board who's trying to turn everything around. So that was kind of the the fundamental catalyst that got this thing started. And then it became kind of a movement. Now that the hedge funds have seen this happening and they're losing money, there have been... Careful not to say something out of turn, but it would appear to be like actual attacks on the stock. And what's one of the big things that happened is that Robinhood, one of these low or zero commission um, brokerages right. that a lot of younger people use because zero fees, um, they halted trading on just that stock and a couple <laughs> others. So you were able to sell your positions, but you were not able to buy, which is blatant market manipulation, in my opinion. So what, and what happened immediately when they did that, the stock crashed from 480 to 480 to 112, a 70 to 80% drop in a matter of 30 minutes on super low volume. Yeah. So it appeared that this was a coordinated attack where. You you limit all of the retail buyers. You allow retail to sell. And then the hedge funds oh, then see. dumped a bunch of positions trying to crash the stock. And so e- ever since that happened, it's become this this sort of Occupy Wall Street 2.0 where retail is buying as many shares as they can, knowing that eventually Melvin and Citron will have to cover their short positions. And in the meantime, they're bleeding cash because they have to keep paying that paying interest. interest. Um, and they're not selling. There's, there's people who... So the, the idea is... If you squeeze them hard enough, they eventually have to cover their positions at whatever the market price is. So you take out a short position at five bucks; you have to cover that position, and if the price is three hundred, you have to buy the share at three hundred to return it to the guy you borrowed it from at five. Right. So, so they haven't done that yet. So,
0: a couple things: one, when it crashed, um, if they were covering their short positions, you'd see a spike in volume, and there wasn't. There was, right.
1: So, the day before there was like 130 million of volume, and that 30 minutes had like 8 million of volume. So they're not
0: 80%. So they, they didn't, in fact, They weren't able to cover their positions at 130 and it's traded back up to 328. Right. So, and and you can look up what the short position is and
1: it's still above 100%. Right. Even now, it's still above 100%.
0: Right. So they're not, they're looking at this saying, I'm not going to cover, meaning I'm not going to buy this stock at $130 a share, $330 a share, or $330 a share. Right. And the true believers, um, it looks like there's enough money out there to keep it propped up and nobody's selling it. All you have to do is not sell.
1: Right. Like retail doesn't sell. There's not enough shares for these guys to cover and they're just going to keep
0: paying interest until they're broke. Right. And this is where if you went back and you summed up all the retail buying when it was 17, 18, 19, 20, 50, $100 a share, mm-hmm. that's where you've locked up the shares. Yeah. So. The question will be, when we come back, what does this mean for the financial system in the United States? This is Ali and Pissera with her friend James Wall. The Portland spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the
1: Portland skyline and the historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, Dinner and the famous Heart of Portland cruise tickets can be purchased at
0: portlandspirit.com. dot com. Welcome back to Allie and Passero with her friend James Ball. We're talking all things GameStop, and uh, the 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 thing with Robin Hood. I wanted to touch on that. Sure. What I can't tell is how much of this was was houses saying we're not so. Apparently, the way stocks work is you when you buy a stock and you sell a stock. I'm selling with Merrill Lynch. You're selling with uh, um, yeah, E-trade. Robinhood, E-trade, Robinhood, whatever. Yeah. There's a clearinghouse that sits in between that mm-hmm. trade, matches and, the buyers and sellers, right? right. Um, and they make money gets,
1: on the, they make money on the spread. So when the it gets the buy this crazy,
0: yeah, and this volatile, the clearinghouses say, oh, we're going to charge more for a trade in this stock. Mm -hmm. And because they run risk that they're going to try to match up this trade and you get into this wild imbalance and the clearinghouse blows up. Right. So they raise their, their fees to try to slow down trading and... They may even go to somebody like Robinhood and say, you know what, you guys don't have the financial rigor to validate to us that in fact the people that are trading have the assets to back it up. When you trade, if you want to trade in options on even E-Trade or something, you go through a vetting with E-Trade for Mm -hmm. them to authorize your account to trade options, and then there's hard limits placed on you to what you can trade and how much, how much margin you can get, how much money you can borrow from them. So I can't tell if this was the, the guys in the suits, you know, well, telling, so yeah, telling the, the right. So I, I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory or if it's just, look, this is crazy. We're going to hit the pause button. So it wasn't just Robinhood. Hood. It was Charles Schwab yeah. and Weeble and yeah.
1: uh, interactive no, brokers. The so clearinghouse a lot of these. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the collusion in my mind was the clearinghouse called all these people and said, we need to stop this. And the, the guy, the CEO of Interactive Brokers even got on CNBC and basically said it was to stop the losses. Yeah. Stop the losses from the hedge funds, which that's collusion. That is market
0: manipulation. But the hedge funds aren't losing unless they're covering the position. Well, they're right? paying interest, uh, but they're going to pay interest whether it's 300 bucks a share or 100 bucks a share. They pay more based on the higher the, the stock price goes. Oh, do they? Yeah. The interest rate changes. And if they can crash the
1: stock, then they can cover at a lower price. So, I mean, this is the thing. Like, they're, they're artificially limiting volume, which is, according to the SEC,
0: market manipulation, limiting volume. And they've got circuit breakers in trading. They yeah. They've had this since 2008. And that's what I can't tell. I can't tell if it was regular circuit breakers and... Pouring a little cold water on things, or if it was nefariously the suits coming well, in. Well,
1: not every broker did it. E-Trade, Charles Schwab, or not Charles Schwab, um, TD Ameritrade, uh, Fidelity are all still allowing unlimited buys and sells of GameStop.
0: Well, and so this it was is, only and just the low-cost brokers. Well, and this is the thing of, do the low-cost brokers have the same sideboards in place to know that the assets are there to cover the trades? that the other brokers have. And well,
1: so what they did way at the beginning was increase margin requirements for GameStop to 100%, which means you cannot use margin, you can only use cash. Yeah. And so you have to have cash in the in the app or in the brokerage in order to buy GameStop. So, should short selling be legal? Well, so here's this is the uh, the business school. We talked about this a little bit before right. the show. The business school answer is yes, it helps with price discovery. Right, cuz the
0: know, because the business school guys are all in cahoots with the suits
1: and that's <laughs> well, my theory it, well i mean it may be but th- this is uh so short selling helps the price discovery if you have an asset and you can only buy the asset the price is going to go up and up and up because you can but if like you were talking about your house you can buy your house but you you can't sell the house until after you've already bought it which means you're there's going to be way more buying pressure than there is selling pressure if you allow shorts, now anyone can buy or sell whether or not they have previously bought or sold the stock. Right. And so, in theory, that helps with price discovery and helps assets not become inflated, which we were talking about the housing market in, in Portland is inflated because
0: right. there's there's a whole bunch of buying pressure and not as much selling. So. Judging from the stock market, I don't think it works. well, not in this case, I, <laughs> no, in any case, I don't think it's working. And the other thing is the the whole concept is bizarre of so I have a title to my house. If you could short sell my house, yeah, you could come and borrow my title, yes, sell it to someone else, pay me some interest for doing that right and and sell my house at a price. When I want to sell my house, then you have to buy my title back from whoever, wherever it is out there and give it back to me. Yeah. That's nuts.
1: Well, so you (laughs) can, even with stocks, you can say that you don't want to do that. You have to call your broker. You can,
0: but that's not,
1: it's almost
2: impossible. How how long has short selling been uh, involved in the market? Uh, Forever. I don't know. Not, so, forever, not forever right? not forever
0: but since I mean okay. if this is not so a new thing short selling not a new thing people point back to thing. 1929 mm-hmm. and say one of the reasons the market crashed is we didn't have short selling right and there were these side groups that started up almost gambling houses that were basically doing short selling in these in these little outfits that that had nothing to do with the market and, and people attribute part of the crash of 29 to that I think that's a bunch of crap I actually think <laughs> no I and I actually think short selling is a bunch of crap and and people create these these quants is what they're called right mathematicians yeah. create these synthetic positions that have nothing to do with the performance of the company they have nothing to do with the fundamental are you acquiring customers are you losing customers are you cutting your gross margins are you expanding gross nothing to do with that it's a it's a mathematical set of equations that is, that is a glorious bet but at, what, in Vegas. So you mentioned price, is,
2: you mentioned price discovery. Yeah. So why wouldn't price discovery be, uh, you know, authentically real just under traditional performance of the company?
1: Because you can only, you can only buy there's, there's an, a more, you, more buyers, more potential buyers than there are potential sellers. And
0: I, is that, Literally, that really this is, true, is it? I think this is complete business school mumbo jumbo. Uh, that maybe it is. All, I, I really because you can sell a stock. You can sell a stock, but you can't sell a stock <laughs> more than well, the number of so, shares that are
1: out there. So now you're getting into naked shorting, which is different than just shorting in general. And Elon Musk has even tweeted a while back that he thinks shorting should be illegal but i mean elon has
0: dealt with the same situation at tesla I've, I've dealt with it at pixelworks yeah and i had a massive short position and then you have all these guys out there trying to make your stock go down mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. creating rumors innuendo you know this is they lost this deal you know right trying to yeah trying to make your actively trying to make your stock go down correct and i uh, and imagine and what they've been they, doing to GameStop yes with and 140%. they are and they are completely without any kind of fiduciary response i'm sitting here with tons of fiduciary responsibility to only report things in this way with these words and this and, uh, and all this accounting and people crawling all over you to make sure you you only do this these guys can say whatever they want whatever they want yeah. There's no fiduciary responsibility. Then it's and hard. that's just there messed were, There was, up. I,
1: know, I know we got to leave, but, uh, Melvin told CNBC that they had closed their short position a couple days ago. And then Reddit
0: immediately looked at it and said, no, you <laughs> no, haven't. You didn't. Right. And, but this was, this no, was headline total, on, this that, is a
1: headline on CNBC. Yeah. Total so lies.
0: We've got to take another break. We'll be right back after this. This is Ali and Pacero with James Ball. This is Ali and Picero with James Ball. We're talking about <laughs> for an hour <laughs> GameStop, but, but more broadly, uh, sort of the, the stock market here in the United States and, and the ramifications that this has on it. And I've, I've run a public company. I've been up to my ears in this. I've heard all the reasons why we have short selling. I've had all the reasons we sold. 100 million 150 million dollars worth of bonds and they were convertible it was convertible debt so we sold it um we paid a coupon on on it we paid an interest rate on it and with that was an option on our stock so you could buy the stock at a future price and it all happened when we went public it was a 6 month process mm-hmm. to go public right vetting attorneys scrupulous and we raised 50 million dollars in our public offering Mm -hmm. we did this bond offering this convertible debt offering 150 million dollars in 14 days Hmm. why Hmm. why why is it so easy to do this well the reason was is this was a mechanism for the hedge funds to create a synthetic position in our stock. And Wall Street facilitated the whole thing. Right? Because huh. we were a, we were a, a going and blowing, very volatile, well traded, lots of shares trading. And they're like, ha ha, that is the model. Now we'll get them to do this. They gave me 150 million freaking dollars in 14 days. I never met in person with anybody on the public (laughs) offering. On the public offering, I had to fly around the world and meet people face to face in their offices on a two week tour to raise 50 million stinking dollars. Two months later, it might have been six months later. I raised one hundred and fifty million because of this weird synthetic position that could be created. So, yeah, implications so, on our implications. stock market.
1: So this is this is the thing. Um, so Melvin Capital, the rest of the hedge funds, uh, let's say they've got a fifty billion dollar uh, short position <clears throat> on GameStop. This price
0: keeps going up. Everybody all together.
1: Yeah. Well. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the price keeps going up. That short position continues to go up. It Goes up and up and up. Um, Melvin's only got 12 and a half billion in assets under management. They run out of money. They throw the keys at the door and walk away. So who's responsible for that fifty hundred whatever billion dollar shortfall? Well, their broker is. The broker should have margin called them a long time ago, but because they're a hedge fund and they've got friends, they never got margin called, so they, they, they are now holding these short positions. Uh, let's, so now let's say the brokerage can't cover it. Brokerage throws the keys at the door and walks away. Now who's covering it? Who's responsible for this? Because someone has to pay this out. You can't borrow a share and then not return it. So now it's the clearinghouse. The clearinghouse has to cover a potentially, you know, $100 billion, depending on how high the stock price goes, short position to pay out all these retail investors. Uh, now they could potentially go under. And now if the clearinghouses go under, you know, have no one to match buyers and sellers. The whole stock market could fall apart from this whole thing. And that's a pretty extreme scenario, but was brought on by these hedge funds and they're uh, taking out an incredibly risky position and overextending their hand and refusing to cover when it went against them. So that, I mean, this this is this what I've been saying for Nick and I have been arguing about this. I don't care what the rules are. I just want everyone to follow them the same way. So if I have 50% margin and I go over that limit, I get margin called. My... Broker then liquidates my position without asking me and they, they just do it. That is to cover their risk and prevent this sort of thing from happening. They don't do that with hedge funds. And, you know, there's been accusations both ways that, you know, maybe that Reddit is acting illegally, that maybe that this is collusion and price manipulation on the part of Reddit. So go to the SEC you know, and they'll do an investigation, and nine months later, maybe we'll have a a, a, uh, a resolution. Right. Meanwhile, this thing, whole thing's blown up. But that's the only rec- uh, way that I have to if if I suspect market manipulation. That's the only thing I can do is put a report into the SEC, and maybe someday they'll they'll file it. Right.
0: But just like I just want everybody to play by the same rules. So one of the things I, I was just looking at the interest because this is what's going to kill them is. It looks like the interest rate can be like twenty percent annual percent interest rate, and it's based off of the current value of the stock. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you get into a situation where you're paying twenty percent on fifty billion of a company that's worth five, two, yeah, something like that. Um, well, but what's it really worth? And this is the
1: thing, like stock price with anything, it's supply and demand.
0: No, it, it, it's that, worth whatever someone's willing to pay for. It. That's that's totally true. And now you have, <laughs> and totally not true. And now you have a bunch of, <laughs> well, you have a bunch of guys that that aren't that didn't buy it based on the fundamentals, yes. and they're sitting on it. What so are fundamentals anymore? Well, wait some. a minute. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but so they manipulated the price of the stock. There's sure. no doubt about it. Right? Sure. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, I I don't have any problem with that. But now they're just sitting on it, and as long as they sit on it, if these guys are paying twenty percent interest on the current value, the three hundred and sixty four hundred dollars a uh, a share, you, you can't do that forever.
2: And like I said, I
1: Mel- Melvin Capital has lost half of their assets so, under management this month. So, James, it's interesting. Is this
2: a one-off uh, story? Yeah. Or or are we going to see because uh, wasn't that's not the only company that was involved. You know, well, there was about three other okay this is the superstar of the of the but there were like three right. companies, right? involved.
1: Well, there was AMC and mm-hmm. and BlackBerry were the other two right. that were kind of mentioned, but I think those were just I, I think that those were included to make it look like this wasn't a targeted attack okay so um from from the hedge funds so because if you, the, you go on wall street bets no one's talking about so we're stocks. not going
2: to enter an era where we where this store where a story like this happens every couple of weeks
1: um if hedge funds keep over leveraging uh maybe we do because mm-hmm. now it's shown that this that this could be profitable for retail. So, see, so I think to Alan's point, I think that this punishes short sellers, and I think they're not going to take out short you, positions like this anymore. You got to
0: outlaw short selling. That's my fundamental position: mm-hmm. is you outlaw short selling and let people trade in options. Options yeah. are. I I have a contract with with James. Um, I'm going to buy the stock at a price at a future date, and I pay an amount of money for that ability i I pay a a buck to be able to do that that option either quote goes into the money or out of the money i can trade it you're done
1: well but so here's here's the problem with that is especially with put options the way that the brokerages and clearing houses hedge their position and allow you to and allow you to purchase those and provide liquidity to the market is they short the stock so options will get more expensive Yes. Well, you'll, the, the people providing liquidity will stop providing liquidity. And and that's okay. As
0: far as I'm concerned, that's okay too. Because I I think Mm -hmm. an, uh, the value of an option should accurately reflect it. And this is another thing that the ability to short a stock clouds the value of the option because now you're including this ability to short and nobody can actually figure it out. I think it's just, I, I've said this all along i said it 20 years ago that we should get rid of these short positions so jim we got to come back take a break we'll be right back this is alien passero with james ball
1: today's podcast is brought to you by prolift garage doors prolift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers springs and rollers to full reinstalls they offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or com slash Portland.
0: Welcome back to Allie and Pacero without our friend James Ball. Jim, James is actually working. Yeah. So, Jimmy, what did you want to talk about? Oregon Republican Party, our... Uh, statement that we put we out? We thought <laughs> we might
2: shove a political segment into this economic market okay, show good. just while James is out because we've lost our, our expert temporarily. Yeah. But um, So, there's going to be an election on February 6th for the ORP chair. I think it's Bill Currier versus Dallas Hurd. And there was a letter signed by all 23 of the GOP House members uh, basically denouncing Bill Currier for uh, what he put out, uh, the statement that the ORP and our friend Kevin Hoare put out that made it in the Washington Post and made it on CNN yep. and got all sorts of national news, you know, basically saying that the, I think the most extreme part of the statement was that the uh, the raid on the Capitol was really not, didn't a false flag, didn't really happen.
0: Oh, uh, there were, there were many several elements. There there I think there was that was, was the one so that keeps making
1: elements. the news, yeah. But, right.
0: Yeah, I think the Reichstag comment was yeah, right. <laughs> was one and what was the other one there were three that i uh, i don't
2: remember the other so one. we wanted dan mason to run uh, dan's a uh, chairman of the oregon ethics committee and he's um also run for office and he's uh you know throws the republican dinners with which bring christy Nome and scott walker in and um so we had wanted dan to run to sort of modernize the party and, uh, Dan didn't want to run if Bill Courier wanted to run for reelection. And, uh, people around Bill Courier kind of, Bill was sort of undecided. And people around Bill Courier were like, and you know, we, you and I know who some of those people are, uh, really convinced Bill to run again. And then Bill runs again. Now he'd all already done a couple of recalls of the governor, which were probably not that smart. But they were ways to keep the ORP doors open financially. So, uh, so now this comes out. So Bill decides to run. Dan doesn't run. This comes out, and now it's and now it's kind of just it's 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 worse than a mess. And you, as former, and then and Bill's up for re-election on February sixth uh, versus Dallas Heard and a slate of state senators who are friends of Art Robinson's. So we have Bill, who's made sort of an, uh, not sort of, made a national joke out of himself running against Friends of Art Robinson. And, and so, James, you want to, you're, out, you're out, I'm going to that convention, right? On February I, 6th?
1: That's, that's the plan. Right. Um, so, one of the things that they institute is they changed the bylaws recently that you have to announce your intention to run for party positions 45 days before mm-hmm. the, the thing. Um, all
2: that could be changed on the floor of a convention, though. Well, yes. You you, could, you could say, I, I vote, I, 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 I nominate that we suspend the rules and. You need
1: a two-thirds vote to suspend the rules. Okay, but that can, that can happen. That can happen,
2: yes. But they, they did this, um. Why do you need two-thirds vote? I mean, I'm almost, I thought. That's Robert, Robert's rules. Is it?
1: To suspend the the rules, you need two-thirds vote. Two-thirds vote vote on the floor of a convention. On the floor, yeah.
2: So what you, they did
1: this for, two reasons. One is to make sure that people could be vetted by the PCPs or the, the mm-hmm. delegates, which I, I kind of get. The other reason is that they were having people announce on the floor at the convention and it just kind of created a lot of drama and chaos and they were
2: trying to avoid that. So, mm, that's what conventions anyway, are for, drama and chaos. <laughs> right.
1: But the So the problem is that the cutoff for people announcing that they were their intentions. And you, were, was, and you
2: almost thought about throwing your hat in the I, ring. Did. Yes. I did. I um, did. But it's January 5th. But you're a financial expert, so yeah. you've been carrying a lot of. <laughs> right. It was so it January was 5th. January 5th, was yeah. The deadline of when you have to, to announce. announce. Right. And
1: so that was one of the reasons that I decided not to throw my hat in, is mm-hmm. because. I, it was before all this happened, right? I was thinking, like, you know, Courier. I, I he has some issues, but he's mostly done a good job. I, well, you would get support more, Dan
2: Mason if Dan had run, right? Yeah, if, yeah. if
1: Dan had run, I would have supported Dan. And and you know, Courier's a bit more extreme than I am. But I think, as far as a parliamentarian and and like holding the party together, I think he had done a fine job. And then all this happened, and mm. so it's like, but now your choices are between yeah, Bill Courier, who has essentially signed his name to this crazy statement that is getting us national news for the wrong reasons and uh, Senator heard who wants to name and shame people who have reported businesses to OSHA like I mean it's it's I, I don't see either one of them as an appropriate chair of the party at
2: well, this point the hard part Alan and and but you as former ORP chair uh, we, we need you to weigh in but the hard part about this is most of it's kind of like oh God it's just a silly ORP and you know we don't have campaign finance limitations yet in Oregon. So, And we are one of only six or seven states. And I I tell this to people that aren't in the industry and they don't quite know what I'm talking about. But if you don't have campaign finance limitations uh, on contributions, individual, corporate, PAC, whatever, then... It's the most transparent system. Alan runs for governor and I can, right. I can give him $25,000 and, and, it, and it's listed immediately. Whoa, well, action back gave Alan $25,000 and people, people know what happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, but. Which is
0: what we currently have. Which is what we currently have. And it's unusual, have. but I think it's a really it's, good it's system. It's the best
2: system. <laughs> and so, and so, and so if you have campaign contribution limitations, which is what we're going to have, not, th- not in the 22 cycle, but eventually, um, like all the states around, if you're limited to an eight hundred dollar or a nine hundred dollar, Alan runs for governor, and I can only give him eight or nine hundred dollars, which is what Washington State or uh, Idaho, uh, Montana all have. California. So then uh, you have to give the money to the party, and then the party. If these you want par- to give more than that, yeah. right? And these parties, and so the party launders the money, basically, and and that's legal,
0: <laughs> and, right? And, that's and, legal, and and so, so or you're in a union, and, and they'll then, make sure that the unions can give. Any amount of money they want in any way. Or you've got
1: dark money packs who spend money on your behalf who are
2: not coordinating with the candidate. I mean there's
0: there's all sorts of ways to spend money. Right. right.
2: But the the point is that what happens is when you have to launder money through the party to get to a candidate, parties have real staffs. They have real paid staffs. They have seven or eight people in these other states. They have professional organizations. We don't have that. Nobody's paid it's all just kind of amateurs running and they get to go to the national conventions and stuff. And that's what they love about it is they get to go home and see their, you know, take care of their families or do whatever else and then get to go to the national convention. And they don't want it to be paid staff. They want it to be, you know, continue to be Mickey Mouse. But the problem that arises is, and so we all go, oh, it's just the, that's just the Mickey Mouse Club. It doesn't have anything to do with, with the candidates we run or how they're funded or anything else. But the problem is, Steve Dean doesn't know that, Oregonian columnist. And so then he writes the column like, oh my God, look at the Oregon Republican Party. Look at what they say. And it takes half an hour to explain to them, it's not really anything. And then they still don't believe you. And then they write, can you believe what the Oregon Republican Party said? So they don't, they
0: they don't want to write it that way. Right. They want it to, they want to tar and feather Republican all Republicans party. with this behavior. Mm-hmm. And when you say that, James, yes. you have to say it with this sort of <laughs> attitude <laughs> and accent. Oh my God. This week on, there are those this ruffians, week on PBS, those the deplorables, deplorables broke out of the, with their guns and Bibles yeah. doing it again. Well,
1: so the caucus made a statement that
0: they, by 23 signing yeah, this law, yeah. oh, every, Every
1: elected Republican on the House side signed this statement. And, that then, basically and there says, are
2: some that aren't very liberal on right, the House. Right. Yeah, members.
1: yeah. I mean, this, this is Bill Post. I, I don't know if yeah. Mike neerman was on there. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, they no, they no. all signed this statement that basically said the ORP needs to focus on electing Republicans and stop doing this nonsense. It's not a false flag. There's no evidence of that. So, like, the caucus who controls the money, who controls the – who is more the party than the party – has
2: disavowed this thing well the caucus only controls the money in terms of lobbyists put money into into uh the caucus for legislative races but when it comes to statewide individual races for governor yeah. or, or secretary of state or whatever the caucus doesn't play in though those those that money is raised individually by the candidate
0: but alan you're well we've got to take a break we'll be right back with our circular firing squad killing republicans <laughs> Republicans killing Republicans. We're just trying to tell people what's going on. No, we're Uh, just Republicans killing Republicans. Uh, After the break, this is Allie and Passera with her friend James Small. The Portland
1: Spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner,
0: and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Allie and Pissarro with James Ball. Republicans eating Republicans here on a Sunday morning.
2: <laughs>
0: um, well,
2: it, so it, where? What, it, it, do, what it, did that, you want? that sounds a little, it's a little bit um flippant on your part. It's a
0: little bit flippant uh, on my part. Because, but, there's, but it, it's... A, Okay. But there's it, a grain of th- truth. There is a
2: grain of truth to it. But then, should we just shut up and not say anything, and let the Steve Dean columns, or or let the or let the Washington Post or CNN speak for itself, and just let it hang out there
0: and not try to explain it? No, I think the thing is, is that what what we all forget is, I know many of the people that signed that statement. You mean the one? Which uh, one? The the the, 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 Repro- the, ORP, the, statement. the ORP statement, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And they're really good people. Mm-hmm. And they were very helpful to me when I ran for office. I've been helpful to them. Many of them are the kind of people that I'd want to start uh, a, a party with. Mm-hmm. What makes those really good people so disenfranchised and angry that they make a statement like, that they lash out with a statement mm-hmm. like this? And... That's what the Steve Deans just completely gloss over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of assume that, oh, those crazy, deplorable, it it is the deplorables cling to their guns and Bibles. And what I keep going back to was it, was it a good statement to make? No, absolutely not. It was not. It was not what I would do as chairman of the party. When I was chairman of the party, you worked with me. Right. If we were going to put out a statement like that, I might write it and then I'd take it to you and take it to some of our, and you guys would go, Alan, probably not. Yeah. Right. And I'd say, but damn it, that's the way I feel about this. Okay, well, let's, let's do it a little bit differently. Right. Because you're messaging not just to the party faithful, you're messaging to independents and you're messaging to Democrats and you're messaging to the national media, you're messaging to everyone. So that, but they understand, they intellectually understand that yet they feel so disenfranchised mm-hmm. and so upset that they're just like, I gotta say this. Mm-hmm. I have to stand up and I have to say it. And I, I, I wish we could talk to them. Uh, I haven't talked to Bill, and I haven't talked to some of the other people on the executive committee, but they're really, really, really frustrated. Right. And most of yeah. them live in ur- rural Oregon, and if I lived in rural Oregon, I'd be really frustrated too. You know, it, it, I
1: live in downtown, and I'm
2: frustrated. I get yeah. it. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And the, and but... the, and
0: then Steve Dean. You know, they're, they're looking for an opportunity. This is yeah. like I said. The market is looking for an opportunity to to correct. Steve Dean and company are looking for an opportunity to pin the tail on it on a Republican well, donkey.
2: Why don't why doesn't um, somebody, whether it's Dan Mason or whether it's Alan Alley, why doesn't somebody get a movement together to have get enough be nominated from the floor? And because if, if, if because what I mean, when when we were pushing Dan Mason for chairman. The idea was that Bill Currier was doing was – hurting, was hurting the image of the party by c- continuing to do recalls that were based on keeping the doors open. And we'd, we'd had a gubernatorial election in 14, 16, and 18. And, and it's frustrating that we never get above 45 percent. They never get above 49.6, but they always win. And so it's like – and so he's doing these recalls that aren't going to work because you need an extraordinary number of signatures. To, to, to get a recall on the ballot, right. you need you need like thirty five percent of all registered Republicans to qualify. It's just it's just too much. And he would often get out in public and say he had get on the Lars Larson show and say he had the signatures. And we we'd be hearing from our friends in the legislature, be calling saying Bill's not telling the truth
0: on the radio. And so then you're like, so okay. let me let me talk about that a little bit. Okay. When I traveled around the state, those recalls are incredibly popular. In rural parts of the state. And part of it is, I'm so frustrated. I want to sign my name that you've got to get rid of Kate Brown. And oh, by the way, here's 10 bucks. Burn right? it down. Yep. Right. Yeah.
1: It was. A, it, the, it's, the government serves no is, purpose. Burn it down. So, yep.
0: the, and the whole concept of. You know, settle down, guys. Ninety, sixty, fifteen. We need ninety percent right. Republicans, sixty percent right. independent, fifteen percent. Play that, the math. Nah, to them. No, we don't. We don't Just time for that. Stop. Right. They are. They are screwing me. My life is terrible. I am overregulated. I am overtaxed. I have had enough. I want to get rid of Kate Brown. And I've talked to them. I've talked to the Oregon mm-hmm. Republican Party about. Look, if you want downtown Portland. Donors, Mm -hmm. Republican donors, you can't do this stuff, right? Yeah, but they're mutually exclusive. Exactly. But But what they've decided is we are going to be the voice of the grassroots, the the frustrated people, and we're going to raise enough money from those people to kind of keep the light on. That's right. They're they're not raising a lot of money, but and what they end up doing is they line. put
1: a ceiling at forty percent of the vote. Yes, and like because that's really the thing. I mean, keep the lights on, raise statewide, money. That's that's right. that's great. Well, but we need to win elections. I, like, but I think, the, I
0: think I think they've I, also decided we're never going to well, win a here's, statewide elections. But
2: here's where all of that is wrong. Um, you, you know, we ran the numbers and we've had this conversation. When you do uh, the numbers of the last twenty years of federal elections in Oregon, U.S. Senate and U.S. House races. The Democratic jersey gets 57% of the vote, and the Republican jersey gets 41%. And And we look up here in the last presidential election, and Biden got 57, and Trump got 41. So Oregon is a blue state plus 16. But in a statewide elections, when you run the numbers, and we had 14, 14 16, and 18, the the, the the Democrat, they won 10 elections in a row, but they can't get to 50%. They, they get 49.5% and we get 44.8. So we're within four and a half. We're not, it's not 16. It's four and a half. Now look at some place like Clackamas County, which I think is marginally Republican County. They, three out of the five commissioners are Republican. Uh, it went 54 to 43 for, uh, Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we lost suburban women. Now you, when you look at we're, hundred and thirty in these gubernatorial races from 14, 16 and eighteen, we're only a hundred and thirty thousand votes short, and that means you only have to switch the mind of sixty-five thousand people to get that hundred and thirty thousand. Well, thirty thousand are probably suburban women in Clackamas County that we can get back if we if we behave in a e- even modest rational way. So, I feel like instead of having I understand what you are saying about how frustrated people are, but if they want to end the frustration, they think, they, they 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 apply a litmus test that says, "Does this add to the forty five percent whatever we're doing? Does it get us to forty seven or forty eight where we could win an election on a late game field goal if we could get to forty seven or forty eight, which we never get to? But if we could get there, does this whatever we're doing does that add to the forty five or does it subtract from the forty five? And that ought to be the only question if we ever want to win." And 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 help the future of the state. End of end of my speech.
0: Let's get back and follow up on that after the break. This is Allie and Pissero with James Ball. Welcome back to Allie and Pissero with James Ball. We're talking about the Oregon Republican Party and actually winning a statewide election. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: Well, <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say now. No, okay. so train of thought. sorry. So
0: Dennis Richardson was able to win statewide and got to forty-seven or forty-eight percent. Got to that. Magic he never memory. got to fifty. No, right, right. And he was running against a deplorable candidate. I think that's right. In uh, <laughs> Brad Avakian.
2: Yes, that could, which could be Kay Brown or Shamia Fagan. Oh, it could I, be Shamia. Shamia could be a deplorable candidate.
1: So I remember what I was going to say. Maybe the. What I expect, I understand. There's this this frustration, this anger among the grassroots, and but what I expect from my party leadership is to acknowledge that, but then kind of be above it, I, not to like to to kind of try to quell it a little bit and guy, say, "Hey, guys, I understand your anger. I understand you're frustrated. This is how we win. We win by getting new voters. We don't win by recalling Kate Brown. We don't win by putting out crazy statements." We win by appealing to more voters. Like that's what I want to see from my from my leadership. Not not
0: just allowing the, the
1: yeah, anger and, to
0: and, overflow. And you can get involved in the party and vote and be a part of the central committee and have your voice heard. The, the sorry, go back to
1: the, Dennis and Advocate. No, no <laughs> but the
0: but the Oregon Republican Party Central Committee is has by definition endorsed this administration. And this administration's behavior.
2: Yes, forty-seven percent. He won. He won his election. Dennis with did. Yeah,
0: yeah. To more than the forty-five. That no, that yeah, it,
2: yeah.
0: And what Avakian was forty-three, three. Yeah. Huh. Um. No, there's a there's a path to winning mm-hmm. statewide. That I think the trick is, um, what what downtown Portland, North Willamette Valley Republicans seem to do. Is alienate uh, dismiss the rural Republicans and and just say, Look, you just need to vote with me. You know, I, I I I have to say things that sound like I'm almost a Democrat. You're
2: sounding like the new Bueller campaign. Kind of. Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> and you just need and you just need to vote with me. Just mm-hmm. shut up. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have concerns. I understand that. Just shut up. And, and just vote with me. Cause I know, look, I can raise $20 million. I know how to do this. Okay. Right. And when I'm elected, I'm going to take care of what was your name? Yeah. Who are you?
2: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and
0: so what you, and this is why Donald Trump actually was successful was Donald Trump. Uh, amazingly enough, he's this billionaire republican right that somehow managed to speak for the people in in rural oregon and i,
2: I, I yeah I, I i i don't think that that i mean i hear you and i and i get that and voices have been and and you know frustration but i don't think from a math problem that's not the way we're going to win the statewide election i there's to me there's kind of this meatloaf line on the on the freeway and in and in bad times when the Republicans are not doing well in Oregon, all of a sudden, like we saw in the Trump election, all of a sudden, the line of the, you know, the deplorable meatloaf line was all the way past, you know, south of Aurora, you know, way down there. You know, all of a sudden Sherwood went for uh, Joe Biden by 18 points and not and and now. But when when you actually ask women in the suburbs, about defund the police and the pandemic. I mean, and the homeless crisis and Mayor Wheeler and all the things that are going on. You could actually that line could actually the division line could go way up to Lake Oswego. Your wife and you know these places Lake Oswego is heavily Democrat, but it might not vote heavily Democrat if there's complete chaos in Portland. Right. And and we have to, you know, the tenth just we just need more voters. Well, well, see, to
1: so, to to Bueller's point, I mean, yeah, or your point, the the you know elitist Republicans from downtown Portland, you know, myself included, are like the they, they don't vote like the Portland and suburbs don't vote for Donald Trump. You know, Trump
0: made this populist movement, he did this thing where he won nationwide, but in Oregon that doesn't work. Look, I'm not I'm not saying you need to be Donald Trump. The the baggage of Trump, the way he presented his message, the way he talked about women, all those things completely alienated right. the the North Willamette Valley. What what I'm talking about though is the disdain That North Willamette Valley Republicans have for the other Republicans in the state. And I, I, you know, I I used to say this when I ran for treasurer, I won Washington County and Clackamas County combined. So that's like 700,000 votes or something like that. I won that by 5,000 votes. Mm -hmm. I won Baker County Mm -hmm. by 5,000 votes. Mm -hmm. Baker County on a vote differential. Was just as important right. as Washington and Clackamas combined. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so those rural counties for Republicans are incredibly important. If, if the people in Baker County don't turn out and you only win by 3,000 mm-hmm. votes, you can't win statewide. You have to do both. Right. And, and you can't just tell well, them, you can't just go out to them and say, vote for me. When I wouldn't,
2: I wouldn't look at it. Um, you want to get in? oh just
0: saying when I did
1: some analysis on the 2018 election the the Bueller race um, I one of the lowest turnout counties was Lake County who only has about you know 1500 residents and they didn't but vote. they're they're all Republican and they didn't vote they're, they well I mean they they it was 75 percent but it was one of the lowest see, turnouts in
2: right. the state see here's where here's where I would approach it differently than you uh, is I don't think I don't you don't want to get into an urban rural fight. I don't think that's how we win a statewide election. What you want to do is you want to say that the future of the party is a pop conservative populist uh, party. Yes. And in that conservative populist party, there are probably a lot of women in the suburbs that want to go conservative populist. If it's served with the right kind of parsley on it, whatever. But – but and, and and everybody in rural Oregon would buy – that conservative populist message and vote for they're not going anywhere if you know they're not See, going, they're not they're not <laughs> no i no, but no no you're laughing at me no but, no, no, just, no, no i'm no you, you no 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 it. stop it because i'll tell you why you're making it sound like i'm saying newt buehler i'm not saying that I'm. he did not run as a conservative populist i'm, I'm saying that a person running from the metro area as a conservative populist as a you know as a second amendment pro-life non-apologist representing all those rural attitudes absolutely but it still has to be i mean if you if you it has to be on an ideological movement way not just i'm lauren culp from eastern washington and i'm not going to concede the election for two months even though i lost by
0: 14 points because my flags were everywhere in yakima county i completely agree with you until you said they're not going anywhere and and that but to a conservative populist, they're
2: not going anywhere. To a moderate they're going to go someplace. That's that's the difference. You're, you're you're not you're not getting
0: uh what I'm saying in 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 a sophisticated no. And, I am a I, way I, you're simplifying no, I, it. And no, I absolutely okay. am. What I'm saying is, the, doesn't sound the, like it. The attitude has been they're not going. I'm any- not sharing that attitude. The, the, no, but you're, you're, attitude, you're making me sound like Newt. Bueller. Because, don't stop it. Because quit doing that to me because. As I'm hearing your message... No, but then you're hearing it ignorantly. No. Yes. I, I'm just replaying... I'm turning into Mark Abrams. I'm just replaying to you <laughs> the way I'm hearing well, your message. then hear it broader and it's smarter. Well, that's what you're lecturing me. Oh, okay. You're hearing wrong. You're All not right. going anywhere. You're hearing oh, me wrong. Yeah, but it's annoying to have you twist my, my no, meaning. No, I'm not twisting it. All right. I'm telling you right. how I'm receiving your wow. message. And if I'm in rural Oregon and you're saying that to me, I don't. I. It's like no. Okay. Okay. You. Not gonna you take over the party and because, run a gun toting person from Grants Pass and go
2: ahead and get your forty three percent of the vote. we not going to do and, that. And, okay. Okay. No, just you know. I'm just totin- doing the same thing that no. doesn't work. And, and when? Be- have,
0: when have we run a, gra- a, a gun toting person from Grants Pass statewide? Oh God. That's. Uh, Dennis Richardson. Yeah, anyone. Yeah, anyone. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. That's that's a wrap on this segment. We'll be back for one last segment with Allie and Passero. Welcome back to Allie and Passero with James Ball. We've covered a lot today. Uh, but one thing we haven't covered that I thought we'd spend a lot of time on is COVID. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So lots going on here. Um, Jim's partner, Bridget, wrote an article about Kate Brown and her policy. I did some numbers last night. Um. Let me paint a different picture for you. If they had done a different priority and focused on doctors and nurses, people living in congregate living, people living in foster homes, and everybody over 75, by next Thursday, based on the number of vaccines that we've given... A hundred percent of the doctors and nurses, a hundred percent of people in congregate living, a hundred percent of people in foster care, and a hundred percent of people over seventy five in Oregon would be vaccinated by next Thursday, yeah if they had focused on that, that eliminates at least half, maybe more of the total deaths so and and from a marketing standpoint, if I'm the governor and I can stand up and say. Every doctor and nurse is vaccinated. Everyone in congregate care vaccinated. Every congregate care caregiver vaccinated. Everybody living in foster vaccinated. Every single person in Oregon over the age of 75 has now been vaccinated on Thursday. Why, why didn't she do that?
2: I don't know. Well, I mean, I what did know, Bridget but- say? Well, I, I. She said that it basically it's immoral that we didn't. That you know, her argument is really that she, without saying it, the governor's got blood on her hands what? by by the by. In, so in, I know, in, in the way that Andrew Cuomo has blood on. So his hands. So I know
0: Bridget. Yeah. I I was puzzled why she didn't say that. You must have <laughs> talked about it. Well, I think that she felt like it was implied.
2: And it I, was implied, yeah, but
0: but, but Bridget isn't an implier. Yeah. Did you edit it out of her? No,
2: I, no, again, Mr. Hafit did not edit it out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, COVID. (laughs) COVID. Uh, No, I think that, um, I think that you're wondering, um, but I think everybody has sort of that, that stop sign in their mind when they're at, when they're writing something very, very critical of the governor. And it got, the newsletter got a tremendous amount of attention. Uh, And your article was terrific defending Donald Trump's farewell speech. It's
0: very plausible that you could say that Kate Brown has been an accomplice in a murder mm -hmm. of five people a day for 40 days. Yeah. Right? Right. It's very plausible. Well, we're saying it about the president and the
2: riot on the Capitol. Yeah.
0: Yes. I mean, it is very, very plausible that that that, that sticks. Mm -hmm. Because... When you're not vaccinating, the people that are dying. Yeah, you are proactive. I know you're you're in the zone. Yeah, right. And I vaccinate him. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then on top of it, well, I, and well, then so, on top of it, the teachers don't even want to. Once they get vaccinated, they still don't want to go back to work.
1: Not until the kids are vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. and
2: it's yeah. That, so that's just driving. Well, that so drove some of the tone of the piece that she wrote. Here's
1: my two cents. Like I, you get ten people in a room, and you're going to have ten different versions of. What order people should be vaccinated in? I mean, I don't think that's true. Is it? Well, but my issue is that we have been listen to the science. Listen to the science. The scientists (laughs) know everything. The science, 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 (laughs) and now the scientists at the CDC have a very clear order of what they think should be. Have they published one? I'm pretty sure. I, I this is. I, I, I well, haven't it, it, seen it, but I, I'm pr- like the CDC, I'm pretty sure, has published something that basically said elderly people, they didn't mench- mention teachers. It was essential workers and, right. then, and then the elderly. Um, so Kate Brown, who has been listening to the science, 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 now is ignoring the science and doing what is politically expedient, which is fine as long as you don't keep telling people that it's because of the science. So okay. that that's my issue is, you know, if you're going to make po- the life and death decisions based on politics, just say that. I mean, don't say it's because of politics, but you're going to say that I make the decisions and this is what we're doing because I'm the governor and this
0: is what I can do. But stop with the whole science is the answer thing, because clearly it's not. So on my Facebook page, I reached out to people. We've now had 154 comments about what's going on in your states and and are you getting vaccinated? How did it go? Whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll, I'll summarize by saying it's a big freaking mess everywhere. There are some states, uh, somebody from Maryland said they were able to go on, register online, enter their information, sixty-five and older, underlying condition, whatever. They got like a draft number back, right? <laughs> your number one seventy-four, uh, right? Your number a will state come run up, by
2: a Republican governor.
0: Your your number will come up in this window. When it comes up we'll notify you. Then you go in, sign up. They signed up, they went in, they waited, they had to wait for an hour when they went in, you know, they got their shot and it's done. This is the
1: other thing that irritates me is this is not a surprise that this was coming. I mean, the fact that these governments are just no. scrambling like, oh my gosh, we have to come up with this system. Come on. You didn't start this back in March. Come on. Put put together a, a exploratory committee that's going to figure out how we're going to vaccinate people. You've had a year to do this, 10 months to, to try to bring these out. You know
0: the vaccine's coming. You didn't know when. But you knew it was coming. So interesting perspective. So I'm having breakfast with a friend of mine. I'm talking about this. He is a extremely moderate Republican, right? I'm talking about this, and he goes, "Alan, why do you why, why are you so upset? Why do you care? Right? Mm-hmm. We're going to get vaccinated. It's going to happen eventually. You know. Yeah, yeah. We'll just sit around and wait. Why? Why do you care? And I, it's like." Because people are dying that don't need to die, Mm -hmm. one and two. This is a symptom of gross mismanagement of our state. That this isn't that complicated. It it really isn't that complicated. You know how many um, vaccines you're getting. You know about the schedule you're getting them. You know the target people. The data is right there. Oh. Except she stopped publishing the data last Wednesday. Right. right? It's yeah. like conveniently, oh, well, we're not going to publish the data that leads you to the conclusion that I'm doing the wrong thing. And we've dunked everything up. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's just I, I talk about it because it's like, dear Lord, please wake up, people, that we have a grossly mismanaged state. I think she walked that back. I think she's decided that she's gonna keep posting. I think posting she did
1: because she got she got flack from her I, constituents I, I think, on the I left. I think she yeah. did well, thank
0: goodness. But it's it's
2: it's 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 also, you know, so much broader. I mean you you got teen you know, the suicide rate, the the growing homeless problem, I mean the the, 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 the bad the poor economy. I mean there's so, all all sorts of uh, social pathologies that come from an extended yes. mismanaged pandemic.
0: And, and this is where You know, being a CEO and talking to my friend Mitch, who is a CEO, Mitch Mitch Daniels, former governor of Indiana, you do things to show people that you've got this under control. So if you, she would have done what I said, doctors and nurses, people living in congregate living, and you have a chart and you say, we got to 100% of all the doctors and nurses. Mm -hmm. We got to 100% of, there's only 30,000 people living in congregate living. The number yes. living in foster care is like 6,000, right? Yeah. This is round off error. This is like, this is spillage that you can take care of these people. There's 90,000 doctors and nurses. That's a big, that's a big chunk. But you could do this and then you could start crossing off things and saying, they're protected, they're protected, they're protected. It's like, Oprah, you get a TV, you get a TV, <laughs> right? And instill a sense of confidence that we're headed in the right direction, and somebody at the top gets it, and they understand, right? Yeah. yeah. But they they absolutely have completely screwed the pooch on this thing. the The virus advisory committee, 36 <laughs> people to tell. No, you don't need a committee. You need Excel. And you need, like, one person to build the Excel spreadsheet, and you're done. And you say, look, there's a time for wokeness. And there's a time for being socially conscious. And there's a time for saving lives. And this is the time to save lives. And she completely freaking whiffed. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's (laughs) a wrap. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for joining us. We'll get the podcast out later on today. This is Allie and Pizarro with her friend James Ball. Thanks for listening.
1: This has been Allie and Pissero with your hosts, Alan Alley and Jim Pissarro. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at alanalley.com.